Welcome to Newer Church with Corey Turner. We pray you encounter God and become more like Jesus through this message. To find out more, visit us at numa.church. Why don't you go with me? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. Paul's writing to Timothy, and he's prophesying about the last days. And he says this. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Anyone else getting depressed right about now? (laughs) Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. I just want to speak to you for a few moments today on this idea of form versus power. Form versus power. Um, in the late 90s, I had a, um, a, a personal training business in the fitness industry, and I also worked in hospitals with car accident victims, helping them to rehabilitate from traumatic brain injuries and uh, different things that they went through. And um, when I was working in gyms and working with um, clients and people wanting to better their health and, and get fit, um, I'd often work with a number of athletes and there'd be this subculture uh, in the industry of bodybuilders and then there'd be other sort of um, semi-pro or pro athletes that you would train with. And generally the bodybuilders, you know, super intimidating, super big, and, and they'd often make a lot of noise when they'd be in the gym, and very intimidating. And, and uh, while some of them lifted, you know, quite big, heavy weights, some of them looked a whole lot bigger than actually they had strength. And so they'd often be in the corner, you know, lifting their dumbbell, their bicep curl, and, and the weight wouldn't be that heavy. And then a, uh, a smaller guy would walk in, 60 kilos, who was an Olympic weightlifter, and he would lift twice his body weight, over 120 kilos over his head. And he didn't look like an athlete. He didn't look like a Ferrari. He probably looked more like a Volvo. Um, but he had a Ferrari engine, right? And so you realize there was a difference between the appearance of something and the power of something. In the natural, that's called power to weight ratio where it's, you know, most athletes at an elite level have a high power-to-weight ratio, is that their weight is low, but their power output is significant. I really think it's like, as in the natural, so in the supernatural. There, there is, this is a metaphor for believers, for the church, that there is a difference between form and power. And one of the things that we are navigating as a body of Christ globally, universally, and even here at Numa, is this dynamic, this difference between the appearance of godliness and actually the substance or the power of godliness. When we lack public power, we tend to emphasize private faith. That was better than the the response he gave. (laughs) But what you need to understand is that... um, The gospel was always intended to not just be personal or private, but to be public. 
The only way that the gospel in our lives can have public impact is not if just the appearance or the external form of something looks a certain way, but that we actually carry the substance or the power of the gospel that we profess and of the relationship with God that we actually have. What can happen is, particularly in the Western church, in the modern church, is we can make it our goal to be good and outstanding citizens of society that society respects. But we need to understand, whilst that may be okay, the founding fathers of our faith and at least 11 of the 12 apostles did not get martyred because they were good citizens of society. They got martyred and laid down their lives because they carried and possessed the power of heaven that literally turned cities and nations upside down, right side up. I don't wish martyrdom or persecution on anyone. I don't wish that for me. I don't wish that for you. However, when Jesus said in Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power, dunamis, dynamic power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Melbourne, Australia, to the nations of the earth, applying it to our context. He was literally saying this presence, this power, this dunamis, dynamic, explosive power of the Spirit of God that is in your life will sustain you and strengthen you even to the point of you being willing to lay down your life for the cause of Jesus Christ. It's so important that we guard our hearts from embracing and entertaining the form of godliness, a form of the gospel, but we actually deny the power of it. And the reason why is not only because this is a misrepresentation of the gospel itself and of being in relationship with Jesus, but because the days that we are living in and the days that we are coming into are going to be increasingly difficult. The Bible says in the first verse of this passage, as Paul is writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, he says, understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Now, that word difficulty in the Greek means days of violence, days that are dangerous, days that are hard. And then what Paul does is he goes through this long list of characteristics and things that reflect the spirit of the age, the spirit of the last days. Now, as believers, what could be really easy to do is that we look at that list and we look at Paul's prophetic warning and we go, yes, we filter it through our judgment of the world. And we go, yes, the spirit of the world, the world is a bad, bad place filled with bad, bad people. And there's so much, you know, uh, children disobedient to their parents, unappeasable. There's people who are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And what we can do as believers is we can sort of project onto the world what maybe we need to take responsibility for. You see, what we've got to keep in mind in the context of this passage of Scripture, Paul is writing to a Christian leader leading a Christian church. He's writing to an apostle who is leading a mega church 
an apostolic hub of connected networks of churches in Ephesus. Ephesus, the Romans called, was the great and first metropolis. It had the temple of Diana. As many as 24, 25,000 people could be seated in the temple of Diana. It was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It was a significant city, not just in Rome, Roman Empire, but in the region. And here is God moving by his spirit in Ephesus through the ministry of Paul, planting a church. A mega church is established. God begins to plant churches out of it. Fivefold ministry. Elders are appointed. Leaders are appointed, raised up and sent out. This is a church. This is a body of believers. The same body of believers that uh, Jesus addresses in the seven messages to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 when he says to Ephesus, I know your works that you did at first, but I have this against you. You have abandoned your first love. Return to your first love and do the works that you did at first. In other words, Paul is not writing simply about what the spirit of the age is going to be out in the world. He's talking about some of the issues that the church of Jesus Christ is going to face in the last days. What will characterize last day's difficulty? It will be that there will be some believers who will love themselves more than they love God. And in verses two to four, you read in this list Oh, that you know, sort of makes you feel a little bit depressed and, and unsettled in this list of qualities of the, of the fruits of sinfulness and self-centeredness, you see this contrast between loving, lovers of self versus lovers of God. How will we know the fruit of those who love themselves and serve themselves, the love of the self-life, Versus a pure, wholehearted love for God. Because Jesus said, you shall know them by their fruit. Our words are like a fruit of what's going on in our hearts. Our actions are a fruit of what we think about and what we, we meditate about in our life. Your life right now is producing a certain kind of fruit. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In your relationships, how you handle money, how you deal with people in the workplace, how you relate to others in your family. All of these things are external fruits. So we know the difference between a, a love, an unhealthy love of self and a love for God by our fruit. One is self-serving, the other is sacrificial. You know you truly love somebody when there is sacrifice involved. Because it isn't real love unless there's sacrifice. That's why we know that God and, and through Jesus has shown us and demonstrated his great love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He's paid the ultimate sacrifice. How many of us know two people on their wedding day can say their marriage vows to each other, confess their eternal undying love to each other, but those vows are going to be tested over the coming years in their level of sacrifice for each other. That when it isn't all champagne and roses and when the bank account isn't full and, 
and the doctor's report comes in and, and there's all sorts of challenges in life, we get to see whether or not those vows are real. Those vows are genuine. So it's one thing to say something or declare something, even in the context of the corporate body of the church. It's another to live out that life of sacrifice in our relationship with God, away from the appearance of others. Let it be said of Newman Church, let it be said of me, let it be said of you, that who we are in here is who we are out there. Who I am on the platform is who I am in my private life. And who I am in my private life is who I am. Let there not be a dichotomy. Let there not be incongruency. You may not get it perfect. I don't get it perfect. But let there be a pure motive of the heart that how we live in private is how we are in public and how we are in public is how we carry ourselves in private. We'll know that by the measure of our sacrifice. Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. The level or measure of your sacrifice is often a direct correlation or, or, or output or outcome of the level of brokenness that you've embraced in your relationship with God. That's a bit full on, isn't it? That's why I think Jesus said in Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit, it's not talking about economically poor, it's not talking about being down on yourself, it's talking about humility and meekness that's connected to brokenness. That as we grow in that measure, we become more full of the kingdom of heaven and the manifest power of God that is at work in our lives. So what Paul is addressing and what Paul is dealing with here in the church in Ephesus is the danger of apostasy. Apostasy is a rejection of who God is, but it's subtle, it's deceptive, because it tends to embrace the ethic of something, so like the ethic of Christian faith, but rejects the spirit of God behind the Christian faith. It tries, apostasy or an apostate church tries to accomplish in our own strength and ability what can only happen by the power of the spirit of God. And Paul is warning Timothy, and I believe the Lord is warning us, that we are to be those who are so full of love for God, a wholehearted love for God. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, strength, and mind, and that there is a guarding of our first love that we don't subtly over time misplace our affections an affection for God, for an affection for self, and in the process, deceive ourselves into embracing a form of godliness, but actually denying the power of it. Because Paul says, in the last days, there will be a people that will rise up, that because of their misplaced affections, will have no choice, because when you're not operating in a wholehearted, first love, devotion for Jesus, you have no choice but to embrace the form of it and in the process you deny the power of it. Saying these will be one of the markers, this will be one of the deceptions of the last days. 
when we leave our first love, we start to venture into the realm of deception. In 1 Timothy 4.1, the Bible says, In the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to doctrines of demons and deceitful spirits. In fact, the only reason why the world will embrace the lawless one, Revelation tells us, the Antichrist, is because of a spirit of deception that came into the world. It's in your Bible. This is not some weird teaching. This is God's words, our foundation teaching. And, and because of a deception and a delusion, people will begin to embrace a philosophy, an ideology, and a worship of the Antichrist, the lawless one who the Bible says that spirit is already at work in the world, right? And will embrace a worship and an adoration and a submission to the lawless one because of spiritual delusion and blindness. Where do you think all that began? They left their first love. Even believers will, will fall to it and point the finger at other believers and say, you've missed it, you're full of conspiracy theories, it's terrible, and I know some of those conspiracy theories are crazy, but there'll be people, believers will point to other believers and they don't realise that they're operating under a spirit of deception. We're all coping. So I've just got to take a breath every now and then to let you catch up. Deception is error disguised as truth. It's a little bit of truth with a little bit of error and then you have a cult. You've seen any of those Netflix documentaries and you're like, how in the world did those people do that? How in the world did those people accept that? Well, it started with a little bit of truth. A little bit of error, and the devil masquerades himself as an angel of light. Before you know it, a stronghold, a demonic stronghold of deception comes. And because people don't know the truth, because it's only when you know the truth, the truth sets you free. And it's because people aren't in the word, and they're not living in it, they're not eating it, they're not talking about it, they're not praying it through, that stuff starts to come and this controlling, manipulative agenda of the enemy to bind people up. Why? Because the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come that you may have life, life in all of its fullness, life in all of its abundance. And so we begin to accept a little bit of error mixed in with a little bit of truth. And before we know it, we're in deception. And as believers and as in a Western context... Where in a Western context and in certain cultures, appearance is everything. How things appear, right, means a lot to people. And a lot of it's fueled by the fear of man. A lot of it is fueled by pressure and expectation from family of origin and certain cultures. A lot of it is fueled by our own sense of orphanhood or insignificance. We want to appear bigger than we are. We want to feel significant and important. And so we often will chase the external presentation of things. And in the process, we deceive ourselves into embracing a form 
over the true substance and power of what it means to be a son and daughter of the Most High God. You know, it's so funny, I look back, you know, when I first started preaching, um, I, I remember uh, in the late 90s and coming into 2000s in the police force and I, I started itinerant preaching as a police officer actually and different contexts and different churches I was preaching at, Anglican, Baptist, Charismatic, Pentecostal, Salvation Army, all different parts of the body of Christ, you know, uh, because of the context I grew up in, we'd wear a suit and all that sort of thing. And you, you know that saying, all dressed up with nowhere to go? Well, I was all dressed up with no power to show, all right? And, and it looked the part, they're like, get this young preacher in and he's police officer and it was like a novelty and I was growing in the things of God. I'm so glad we no longer have cassette tapes in Jesus' name. I remember going to my pastor one time and they had a conference and I'm like, you know how, because they used to package all the cassette tapes, you know, into teaching series and I'd been doing a bit of teaching and I went to the pastor and said, hey, you know, I've got a great idea. What if we just put together some of these teaching tapes, we sell them at the conference, the pastor looked at me with a smile and he said, oh, I love your passion. No. And uh, I'm so glad that he didn't sell those teaching tapes. So probably heresy. I used to preach every Friday in mum and dad's empty church practicing my messages and mum and dad were so encouraging. But every now and then they say, that's not entirely theologically accurate. Let's not say that. Um, and I'm so glad. Aren't you glad for feedback? Aren't you glad for people who love you enough to actually say, hey, I know your heart's right, but that, not good. That's wrong. And so I was my intent. And often when we're zealous for God in those early years of discovering our call and our ministry and we're passionate, we get saved and we're all sold out and we're in a new season of growth and we're all zealous for God. But, but sometimes we don't realise we can be more zealous in our appearance and form of things, but we're not actually carrying the substance or the power of it. I don't want us as a church, and neither more so does the Holy Spirit, want us as God's people, neither do I want to as an individual, only have the appearance of godliness. I want this to be the substance. That when we're in a situation with someone in our workplace or in our family or in our everyday life, and there is someone who needs hope, that we would have a reason for the hope that we have. When someone who is sick in their body and they're desperate for answers, that we would have a boldness and a substance of the power of God to be able to look at them and say, can I pray with you and believe in faith for you to be healed? Where does that boldness come from? It comes not only from the work of the Spirit of God in your life, but it comes from you and I living this out. I don't want just to appear godly. I don't want you just to appear godly. I want to be godly. God wants us to be more like Him. And this is the exhortation. This is the heart cry behind it. Or else we misrepresent Jesus in the earth. This was the fundamental issue with the false apostles. They were misrepresenting the gospel. They were coming in and Paul said to them in Corinth, oh, I'm gonna come, and he's writing to them. He says, I'm gonna come to Corinth and I'm gonna see where, whether these truly are super apostles, where they really are walking the talk or are they just talking the talk? 
And he said in 1 Corinthians 4.20, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk only, but in a demonstration of power, in a demonstration of the spirit. And this is why we are so on the front foot and we are so intentional about going after everything that Jesus and the early church says, in the, in the Word of God says, is ours by being sons and daughters of God. If Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of us, we can also expect to believe that the sick are going to be healed, the dead are going to be raised, the lepers are going to be cleansed, blind eyes open, deaf ears open, that the, the lost and broken shall be saved and restored and mended. Why have we accepted an inferior representation of the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile? We cannot... We we must not retreat into a place of passivity and inferiority lest we misrepresent the very lordship of Jesus that we call as Lord and Saviour of our life. I believe that the Lord is asking His Spirit, all we are contending for is the raw, real and genuine, authentic gospel. In all of its purity, in all of its form, if it's not real and it's all made up, how about we all just go and have latte right now? Let's all pack up. I don't know about you, but if this is all wrong, I've got better things to do. I'm not sure what it is, but I, I got... <laughs> no, but serious, if this isn't genuine, real, I'm the first one out the door. Here's the mic, pack my bags, I'm going. I've not laid down my life for something that's fake for an imitation. I've seen the glory of the Lord. I've seen the power of God. I've seen the lost saved. There's too much water under the bridge for me to walk away now. I've seen too many bodies healed. I've seen too many demons cast out. I've seen too many people saved and restored and delivered. I've seen too much. I can't walk away now. And so what I believe the Lord is wanting us to contend for is a growing purity of the real thing. Anyone ever tasted like an imitation? It's like imitation Coca-Cola. Not really into Coke, but every Coke drinker in this room knows there's the real thing and an imitation. AC Cola from Target. That's an imitation. Or Aldi, right? If you work from Aldi, I'm sorry. Uh, they also sell the real thing, but, but every Coke drinker knows the difference between Coca-Cola and Pepsi. You can taste subtle, you can taste it. Every unbeliever knows what a true believer should be like. If we have unbelievers coming into our churches, not just Newman, but the body of Christ, saying, oh, yeah, it was fine, it wasn't that crazy. It wasn't that weird. I go, alarm bells. No, serious. Alarm bells. Where did we get this idea that we're to be like vanilla and look like the rest of the world in order to be relevant to them? No, no. When people find out that we're believers, we believe in a supernatural God 
who died upon a cross, forgave us of our sin, rose up out of an empty tomb, sent the power of the Holy Spirit, and we have a weird language that manifests that anointing and that power in our life. And we believe that if we lay hands on you in faith, you're going to be healed. And we see it to the rest of the world. That's a bit weird. I want them to think I'm a bit weird. But I tell you what, when they're at a point of need and they're in a hospital room or their family's on the edge or something's not going right in their business, I guarantee you'll be the first person they run to. When they know that their life is on the line and they know that it's not going well, everyone thinks that it's all weird until they need a miracle and then they'll seek someone out who does have a prayer life, who does have faith, who does have a revelation of who Jesus is. And all of a sudden, no longer are we weird. No, we're the most relevant people on the planet. We are the most relevant God-sent people on the planet. But the good news of the gospel isn't that just for you and your point of need, but even at your highest, strongest point in life, you still need Jesus. You still need the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh God, deliver the Western church of a form of godliness. Makes me sick. Does it make anyone else sick in the room? I just want to need some affirmation from you right now. I'm a words of affirmation man. But mean it. Be genuine about it. No, seriously. The greatest demonic deception in the church is a religious spirit. A familiar spirit that imitates the real but actually emasculates the church of the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't, or make, my blood boils. Can't even get my words out. And it's interesting, I'll be honest with you. I've received more attack and criticism from a religious spirit in the church the last 12 months. Not, not our church. No, seriously, not our church. We love it. And even if people don't love it, you can't help it. You eventually love it, right? <laughs> but I mean out in the body of Christ, but out in the wider church. And I love my brothers and sisters. And we're not entitled or have the market share over anybody else. What God's doing here, he wants to do everywhere. Let us not begin to think that we're the only ones who carry the power of God. Because God wants his entire church aflame and engulfed in the flames of revival. The power of the Spirit. I... I Poor blessing, I wish blessing, favour and honour. What God's doing here, we want everywhere. We're not the only ones he's using. But let me tell you, the very thing that you go after will be the very thing that attacks you. Some of you are called into the political sphere. You're called to challenge unethical and integrous corporate political structures. Don't be surprised if a political spirit comes against you. Some of you are in the corporate sector and you are called to carry kingdom business practices into the corporate sector and be an ambassador of the kingdom of God. There are Josephs in this room. There are Daniels in this room. There are Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego's in this room that are called to represent the kingdom of God and carry the power of the spirit in the corporate sector. But the very thing that you represent will be challenged by a greed, a greedy spirit, a spirit of materialism, a self-serving, cut corners spirit 
that'll come against you and try and pull down the very thing that you stand for. If you stand for marriages and, and, and for wholeness in marriage between a husband and a wife and children and raising them up in kingdom foundations and kingdom values, it'll be the very thing that attacks your kids. And that's not to cause fear. The Bible says, be sober-minded and watchful. For your adversary, the devil, I'm telling you, this message is becoming prophetic right now. God is speaking to people prophetically because he wants you to be equipped to overcome all the power of the enemy that is coming against you. You can't do that if you've swallowed a form. I'm telling you, the ritual is not gonna save you when Satan attacks you. He's not gonna say, oh, you've waved the incense, you've done the sign of the cross. I won't touch you. I'm exaggerating for effect, but it's true. And how many of us know we Pentecostals and Charismatics have our own version of the incense? We have our screens, we have our lights, we have our thing. He's not going to look at it and go, oh, you're a Pentecostal, I won't touch you. No, he's going to see seven sons of Sceva. Do you have a revelation of Jesus? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? Many shall come in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast demons out in your name, prophesy in your name, do mighty miracles in your name? He'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. It's not even enough to move in the power of God. It's do you have a revelation of who God is? And all of us are at different points in this journey. And no one is to feel any condemnation if you're at the beginning stages or maybe you're not where you really want to be. But let this be an invitation from God today. Let it be a, a cosmic invitation for you to actually repent of a form and repent of being in the shallow end and say, come on, let's go and move forward with God into the deeper things of God. This is what it means to be filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we would know the hope to which we are called to, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened to see what God has given to us for those who are seated with Him in heavenly places. There is more for you, church. There is more for me. Aren't you glad there's more that God has for you? There's more for your intimacy with Him. There's more for your worship. There's more for your gifts. There's more for your calling. You'll never get to the end of the goodness of God in your life. And so what you've got to do is you've got to make sure that you're constantly being enamoured with the goodness of God in your life. And when there's mystery and when there's unanswered questions and when you pray and you don't see the answer straight away, don't get bogged down and disillusioned with the lack. Put your attention back on the fullness of who God is and run to Him and say, God, I thank you. I don't understand that, but I'm gonna trust you with what I don't understand. Can you teach me your ways? Can you show me? Can you guide me? I don't let my lack or my unanswered questions lead to disillusionment. This is what happens with a lot of believers. They, they pray for someone, don't get healed. They, they went for the job that they heard, heard from God they were gonna get and they don't get it and now they step back. And they say, oh, this thing doesn't work. No, 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 it's just our view or perspective of God now has been influenced and we start to now form a negative or a wrong conclusion about God's nature based upon our lack. But I tell you, there's something wonderful and beautiful 
when there is contradiction and yet in childlikeness, we sit there and say, I still believe you. I still love you. I still honour you. I'm still serving you. I still follow you. I prayed, my dad and I prayed for years for my mother to be healed of her 25-year lung disease. And yet in the midst of her breathing her last breath and the loss of her life, was there grief? Yes. Was there pain? Yes. Was there the sting of that? Yes. But in the midst of that, there was also, God, I will lift up a sacrifice of praise. You are still good. I don't understand but oh, I'm gonna believe you're gonna turn this into good. And 45 people made decisions to follow Jesus at her funeral. <laughs> the devil wants to take your Job-like experience and get you to turn against God. But let us be like Job, even in the midst of our wrong conclusions that say, God, I will still offer up a sacrifice of praise. How many know? Easy to say, hard to do. God give us grace in that moment of testing. What does what does form without power look like? It looks like serving without sonship. Every single one of us in this room, every believer, and even those who are not believers yet, but are about to be in faith. Every single one of us are called and gifted to serve somewhere in the kingdom of God. Whether it's the workplace, the local church, whatever it is. But what can happen if we don't understand our identity as sons and daughters of God, we can turn our service to God into a performance that begins to embrace a form over the power. Do you know where true power comes from? It doesn't just come from spending time with Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because you can do all of that. You can spend 10 hours a day with Jesus and still operate like a servant and not a son. You can still be caught up in a religious performance. And while you may taste an aspect of it, your ministry will become something that is like a theatrical performance, right? Rather than it's real, it's raw, it's accessible. What sonship does, when you have a revelation of who you are in God, your identity in God, it builds an authority and a strength into your life that whether you feel good or feel bad, you still know I'm a child of God. Whether it's going your way or going against you, I'm still a child of God. Whether the answer comes or doesn't come, I am still a child of God. When you were seated in heavenly places with Jesus, nothing or no one can unseat you. All the devil, the devil can't unseat you. All the devil does is he tries to introduce lies, deception, distractions, different things to try and get you out of your seat. No, you need, if I had a seat, you, I've got a seat. You need to sit down on that seat and say, devil, you are not gonna unseat me. You are not gonna unsettle me. I am seated in heavenly places. I am a child of God. And though hell come against me and this come against me and criticism and persecution and all these things, I know who my God is and whom I have believed and that he is able to bring to the fullness in his time all of the promises of God that he has declared over my life. When you live like that and have a mindset of that, you are expendable. The devil gets really scared of people like that. And he tries to throw everything he can at those types of people, but nothing moves you. Why? 
Because your sonship is fixed. You know who you are in God. Let us not be a people that serve with our gifts and serve with our callings, but never come out of our orphanhood and forsake sonship. Power of authority comes back to the power of your identity. Form without power, what does it look like? It looks like explanation versus demonstration. We've got to guard against becoming professional explainers of the gospel and never demonstrate it. There has got to be a practical demonstration. Otherwise, it's all theoretical. It's very clinical. Okay? Harris, no, you can be in a classroom and learn information, but if there isn't an impartation into your heart where you begin to apply what you're learning, it's all just theory. I had lots of theoretical ideas about ministry and about church planting and about the church until I had to plant a church. And all of a sudden I realized I don't plant a church in my mind, I plant a church in reality. And it's no, starting a business in your mind is different to starting a business in reality. Everyone can attend the course, read the self-help book and apply the principles, you know, in their head. But the moment you actually have to take out the loan, start the venture, now we work out whether you've worked out this thing. And it's the same with our Christian faith. It's one thing to say, I believe and I trust and to know the gospel. It's another thing to actually take someone else on that journey and disciple them and lead them and share the gospel with them. Let us not be explainers, but let us also be demonstrators. And then probably the last thing I would say is, let's guard against being a people that worship, but don't actually be intimate. Now, technically, theologically, if you worship, you are being intimate, but how many know you can also go through the motions of worship? that we can lift our hands. And I'm not just talking about corporately, I mean in your own life. I want to encourage you to cultivate an intimacy. A relationship with the Lord that wherever you are, you're practicing worship. You're practicing the presence of God. Everything you do is an act of worship. When you develop that worshiper's heart and mindset, it really begins to challenge you when an unhealthy thought or word is about to come out of your mouth. Because now you realize my words, my thoughts, my actions, how I live my life, it's all an act of worship. And when you live in this unbroken communion with the Holy Spirit, you are repenting and rejecting the form of something and you're actually beginning to live in the fullness of the power of godliness. Because the power of godliness is cultivated in this daily communion and intimacy with the Holy Spirit. I really believe that the gap between believers with form and believers with power is widening in the last days. And there is going to be an increasing rejection of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the life of the remnant church as we get closer and closer to the return of Christ. And this isn't to cause us to be afraid. I believe the Lord is giving the church in Australia and around the world a window of opportunity to truly know him because of the heat of persecution, economic conditions. I'm not saying that we're going to face some of the persecution other nations are facing, 
but you can see the impact on the economy and everything that's happening in society. If we don't know our God and we're not strong, we're not gonna be able to do mighty exploits in those days and those times. And I feel this sense of burden and responsibility as a shepherd and a leader of this house to make sure that the people of God are prepared and equipped to not just carry the imitation of the form, but to truly be people of substance. The power of godliness. That when the enemy comes knocking on your door, we say, devil, not today. Not today. No, I see it. I'm not falling to that deception. I'm going to live. And let us be people that always have this childlike heart and hunger for the Lord that says, I'm going to guard my first love. I'm going to guard my first love. Thank you for listening to Numa Church with Corey Turner. We pray that you have been blessed by today's message. Please follow us on our social media platforms and visit our website, numa.church.